And when I saw the message come through, I saw it was her name and I read the message and it said, I'm really afraid that your wife is going to find out. Um, And that's really all that it said. And so, of course, you know, just this immediate sense of like, I don't know how to describe it other than it felt like a horse kicked me in the stomach. How do you forgive when the wound is still open? How do you leave a legacy of redemption instead of dysfunction? How do you trust God when your deepest fears are realized? Join me, Sarah May, along with some wise mentors along the way as we explore these and other messy heart topics and the strategies we can use to seek healing in the pain and restoration in the ruins. Welcome to the Complicated Heart Podcast. Hey everyone, today we're going to continue with the Complicated Marriage Series. If you're new to the show, you can check out last week's episode, episode five, that introduces the series and kicks off with Allison Fallon as she talks about leaving her abusive marriage and what she learned in the process. Today, I'm talking with my in real life friends, Carlos and Amanda Vargas, about the hell season of their marriage, her words, and how they had to come to terms with unresolved sexual sin in their marriage and what it looked like to get on the path to healing. I've known Amanda and Carlos for years, and I am inspired and grateful for their humility and honesty about their marriage and what they've gone through. Amanda and Carlos, welcome to the podcast. Thanks Thank for having you. us. Thanks, Sarah. Really appreciate it. Let's start with this. How long have you guys been married and how old were you when you got married? We have been married for 11 years now. Um, just this past June 30th is our anniversary. We celebrated 11 years. And some days it feels like it was just yesterday that we got married for as sometimes immature in our relationship we are, but it's also awesome to be able to look back on those 11 years and see how far God has really brought us. And we both got married, luckily, when we were 19. So I had to snag Amanda up young, straight out of high school. Y'all were babies. Exactly. Before anybody else would take her, I knew what I had. So I was like, too nice. <laughs> it, was, it was such a great investment. That's what I see it as. It was an awesome investment. <laughs> I was sitting here saying that you guys were babies and Jesse was 20. I mean, when we got married. And so you go. You got he turned 21 on our honeymoon. We waited a week, right, to go on our honeymoon so we could have a drink. And then they never even I did us. So. <laughs> You two come from totally different backgrounds. Tell us a little bit about that. Very, yeah. very opposite backgrounds. Um, I was raised up in a Catholic Hispanic home. Um, my background is from Colombia, South America. And so I'm a first generation uh, U.S. citizen. My brother and my sister who are older than me, we are U.S. citizens. My mom's a U.S. citizen now. Um, for a few years now, but she had to apply for it. And so, yeah, just just the whole cultural Hispanic <laughs> typical upbringing. I don't know what a typical Hispanic upbringing is. Hello. I'm like the whitest white person ever. <laughs> <laughs> well, then we'll get you around more Hispanic people. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot of parties. That's it. Was a lot of <laughs> a lot of lot of parties. They're great and dancers. That, I mean, that's just like you're born dancing, I think. Yeah, it's a lot of dancing and just a lot of fun, a lot. But it's every, I, I mean, I can't even 
begin to understand the amount of parties that my mom drugged me to <laughs> that I didn't even want to go to. Yeah. Yeah. So. And especially because mine's the polar opposite. So like I was raised in Mennonite. So we're like anti-party. No, that's not fair. If you're a Mennonite and you're listening, I apologize. <laughs> Just a very different type of parties. We played like Rook and Dutch Blitz and like, you know, board games at our parties. But yeah, I was raised in a conservative, a semi-conservative Mennonite home and the oldest of four girls, and I went to private school, and so just a very different, um, and then homeschooled for high school, so a very different upbringing between the two of us. So something happened in your marriage that was unexpected and took you all to a really dark place. So could you tell us what happened? Yeah, so we, like we said, we got married at 19. And really before that, a lot of our story starts before that. Um, Both of us took a lot of baggage into our marriage. Um, I always joke with people that we kind of like, yeah, we we drug everything into marriage thinking that marriage would somehow be this magic potion that fixed the problems we had. Um, And as anyone who's married knows, that's not true. It's like putting a magnifying glass to something you think is small and suddenly you see how big it is. So that's kind of what happened to us. We drug a bunch of stuff into our marriage, a lot of unhealthy habits and um, things just really, they just kind of got worse. There was not really any period of the beginning of our marriage that was good. There was some good things that happened. Um, After we were married about two years, we had our first child, but of course that just continued to heighten the issues we were already experiencing in our marriage. Um, And so when Eliana, she's our oldest, when she was about two or three weeks old, Carlos had come home from work and he was upstairs taking a shower and I heard his phone go off. So um, I just picked it up to see what was going on. And I saw that he had a message on there from a girl that he had been speaking with. And he had spoken with her months before this um, and had kind of seen it before and had asked him to stop having a conversation with her. I didn't feel comfortable with the conversations they were having just because I felt like maybe something was starting to develop. Um, and I, but I didn't know what it was just like a denial instinct you kind of have right away when you get caught red handed. It's like, no, I didn't know. I didn't do that. You know? And so I think he was really taken off guard as well, not figuring on that I would see anything. Um, But as I looked through the messages, I found that they had been planning to both be at the beach at the same time. Um, He was supposed to be going with some friends to a car show and I was staying home because I had just had a baby um, and they were going to meet up there. And so that's when I realized something else is going on. This is not just a... um, like, um, you know, mutual friend talking occasionally that something else was going on. And so at that time, I just was like, you gotta, like, you've got to make a choice here. It's like, it's her, I, I don't know what's going on. Like, you need to like, tell me what's going on. And he wasn't really at the place where he was ready to talk yet um, or make any kind of a decision. So I actually packed my things and I went to my parents' house. And so I stayed there for about a week or two. And during that time, there was some really good stuff that God did. And then there was really some really stupid stuff that I did. Just really, you know, the the throws. If you've ever had anything like super painful and just like something that totally rocks your world, you know, you just are kind of making decisions off the cuff. It's, it's this grief of sometimes you're angry. Sometimes you feel victimized. Sometimes, you know, you have all these things. And depending on what you're feeling, it kind of changes the type of Um, reaction or decision you make. And so during that period of time, I reconnected um, with somebody from my past 
and reached out to them and started talking to him about what was going on in my marriage at the time, not thinking anything of it, not thinking that it was similar at all to what Carlos was doing because I didn't have feelings for this person at the time. I didn't think I did anyways. So I just, I think I was looking for affirmation, but I reached out to this person and started communicating with him at that point in time. And, um, my parents were awesome. Um, they just really encouraged me to try to fight for my marriage. They asked me if I was ready to give up on my marriage and I was not ready to give up on my marriage. And so they encouraged me to go back home and I had been praying about it quite a bit. And I had met with some other people that encouraged me not to go back to him because at this time he was not remorseful. He had not apologized. He had not made a decision to stop talking to her. Um, There didn't really seem to be any forward progress. But in my spirit, I really felt like the Lord was saying, go back to your husband and fight for him in your home with him. And so I did. I I went back with Eliana after only two weeks of, of being gone, maybe even a week and a half. I'm not sure if it was quite two weeks. And I went back and I moved in and it started a really, really long, really long process of working through issues and healing in our marriage. And, um, even after I moved back, he still didn't like, it wasn't like I came home and he was like, Oh, welcome home. I'm so sorry for everything that I've done. It wasn't like that at all. He was still very angry. He didn't speak to me. He barely looked at me, you know, and I'll let him share all of that of what he was going through at that period of time. But it was really hard. Cause I think in my heart, I kind of thought, well, if I go home, cause God told me to do that, that, when I walk in that door, he'll greet me and everything will just instantly start getting better. Like we'll just be moving forward. But instead I went home and we still felt very stuck. And so there was a specific day that I just remember walking around my house, just crying out to God, just tears and just out loud praying. My windows were open. My neighbors probably thought I was like possessed. I don't know, but just praying over and over and over, like the blood of Jesus Christ over my marriage, over Mm -hmm. my family, over my home, just over and over saying that over and over. Like I didn't even have any other words. Um, You know, at this time I was barely eating. Friends would come over and like make me eat and friends were coming over trying to talk with Carlos. And it was just one of the lowest points in my life. And so I just cried out to God because I was like, I, I can't do this. And I, um, actually just looked up today in my prayer journal from this period of time where I just wrote, God, like I am asking you and praying and you're, you're not answering, you're not changing him. And I, I can't do anything anymore. I don't know what to do. I don't even want to be alive anymore. And so that's really where I was at. And during that day, when I was walking around praying that over my house that night, when we were driving in the car, I noticed a tangible shift in the way that he was acting towards me. Um, He started conversing with me. He started talking and I just could tell a shift that some, that God had done something. Um, And from that point on, we started working towards reconciliation. And of course it was a long, long road and still even far into that reconciliation um, because Eliana was about nine months old when I found out I was pregnant with our second. So between her being three weeks old and nine months old, I considered leaving again. I actually had a plan in place to go and live with a friend because things had still not gotten better and they were really just not great. And I found out I was pregnant with Julian at that time. That's our Mm -hmm. second. Um, So I had a nine month old baby. I was pregnant and planning to leave my husband. And so I realized at that time that I didn't think I was capable of single parenting two kids. And I felt like this was maybe just a sign from God to stay. And this time, 
really commit to surrendering everything and really work for our marriage. And then through that season, um, I ended up on bed rest. I had preterm labor at 30 weeks and Carlos really had to care for me. Um, and then Julian was born and he was colicky and I had really bad postpartum depression and Carlos had to be there for me. And so God really used that as a time of us having to just kind of have to be there for each other and sacrifice for each other. And I really feel like he used that to really help facilitate bringing stuff to the surface and helping us to move forward with, with working through to God's ultimate redemption in our marriage. So. Wow. Now during that nine month period was Carlos, Carlos, were you still in contact with this other woman? When it was happening, it seemed very foggy after Mm. Amanda had called me, it seemed very foggy. So like, to be honest, like in that nine month period, I want to say that, once things started to seem to get better, I decided to completely cut it off. But I, I do remember that Amanda had asked me to choose between her and um, this other woman. And at that moment, this was, I guess, a few weeks after it had happened, Amanda had already moved in where I was still undecisive of what I wanted to do. And where I'm at now and and thinking back to that, like it was really, really stupid of me to even give it a second thought of who I would choose. But I think in that nine month period, I, I still think that um, I was still in denial of, you know, what was Mm. where, where I was pursuing the relationship with the other woman and where it was leading And so I was, in a sense, still trying to, I guess, if you want to call it, I mean, it was a sin. And so I was still trying to dangle and see how how close I could get to the fire without getting burned and kind of have that, I guess, the the fulfillment of my flesh on the Mm -hmm. side that made me feel good um, whenever I needed it. But I I knew I had to drop it and I knew I had to repent of it, but I just was not ready. Mm -hmm. Um, But then there was there was a change in something Um, And we can, you know, we can get in a little bit deeper um, in a little bit. But uh, there was a change somewhere where I just decided not in my own strength, but of things that had happened that, you know, I chose that I need to fight. I need to fight for our marriage. And in the vows that I had presented to Amanda in front of friends and family, in front of Christ, that through thick and thin, better for worse, richer for poor that I was to choose. And I vowed myself to only one person, Mm -hmm. uh, no matter what happens. And so that really stuck in my head as I was going through a difficult situation of what I actually vowed. And I think a lot of people don't take those vows seriously nowadays. But if you really look back and you just, even if you just find them on the internet or something and just reread them and read the importance of them, I think it really does something in your heart and your mind that it doesn't, it it won't leave you. It'll stick with you and it'll really change how you view your spouse. Um, Because those words aren't meant to be taken lightly by any means or thrown around lightly. Mm -hmm. And so that is part of my turnaround that I kind of held on to were, were the vows that I had presented before God first of all, and then in front of all of our friends and family. Do you think, Carlos, that had you gone to the beach? Well, first of all, 
Was there an emotional affair? And second of all, do you think if you would have gone to the beach, it would have turned into a physical affair? Yeah, so it was for sure emotional. I was finding fulfillment from the other woman that in the first few years of our marriage, I wasn't finding in Amanda because I just wasn't, I was being selfish. And that's, that's kind of what it comes down to. It was, even if Amanda, you know, I could have wrote a list of things that I thought personally that Amanda was failing at and she was doing wrong in what I thought was a healthy marriage, even though by any means it was like I, ha- I had no right to even make up a list because there there is no perfect marriage. And the only perfect marriage is when Christ is we're finally the believers are finally reunited with Christ. That is that is the ultimate beautiful picture of a perfect marriage. And so I had no right to have any complaint against Amanda for anything she was or wasn't doing for me. And so I was nitpicking at so much stuff that I was finding I was finding reasons for me to to justify being able to go to this other woman and find fulfillment. So if I felt like Amanda was nagging me that day um, or I was even even to the point where I was purposely edging her on and doing things for me to justify to say, hey, I'm going to go for a run. I'm going to go for a walk. And then I'd be gone for like 30 minutes at a time. And I'd be talking the minute I I left the front door, I'd, I'd dial her phone number and we'd just start talking and we would talk about what it would have been like if we would have stayed together. We talked about um, what it would be like if we, you know, if I left Amanda, what we would do. She lived at that time, she lived in Florida. And so it just got deeper and deeper and deeper emotionally where I was just so comfortable emotionally that I was willing, um, had we gone to the beach, I was willing to take it to the next step and make it a physical relationship because I thought that that is the next step to, I guess you can say a successful relationship. By no means would it have ever been successful, but that's exactly where it was headed. And I was in complete denial that I would have ever taken it to that. Um, Even planning, even planning the beach trip, you know, in the back of my mind, I'm like, Oh, it's not going to be physical. It's not going to be physical. But I mean, that's only the enemy lying to me to be able to get me to a point where I would take it, take it that far. But I knew that that's where it was going to end up. Hmm. And you have, you guys are believers. Yeah. What was your, Carlos, what was your relationship with God at the time this was going on? And maybe it would be helpful for context if you told us when you came to know the Lord and then, yeah, why don't you just sort of tell us a little bit about what was going on in your heart with your relationship with God during this time. Yeah, for sure. Um, man, it's a packed question, but I'll try my best to hit some some really big points. So part of my growing up, uh, my dad got caught drug trafficking cocaine back in the late 80s. I was two years old. He needed to serve a 12-year prison sentence, but he... His lawyer helped him fight it to only serve eight years and then be deported. And so he served eight years in Huntington County Prison. And so I spent my entire childhood up to the age of 10 visiting my dad in prison with my my mom and my brother and sister. And so, I mean, that just there shows that I had growing up, I had no view of what a healthy marriage was, uh, what a husband 
you know, a healthy husband wife relationship look like? How would a father figure even fit into my realm um, of what a good father would look like or be? And so that I drug into our marriage some, which kind of explains how I chose to nitpick at a man because I, you know, I had no right to do that. And I, I didn't know what a man was supposed to do as the head of the household. And so I was raised Catholic, but I wasn't, you know, a committed mass attender. I, I didn't, I didn't do my first communion. I never took the classes. I just didn't have a really good taste for church in my mouth at all. And so when I met Amanda, when I was 17, yeah, I was 17. She was turning 17. Um, I was still not a believer and she was, but she wasn't, you know, quite living the lifestyle that would have, I would have been like, man, this girl's different. And, you know, she must, she must be a Christian. I didn't even know what that term (laughs) really meant being a Christian. And so I had some previous things, seeds planted in my life that spoke to me tremendously that led me then through Amanda to accept Christ. And she, she led me to her youth pastor and and I sat with her youth pastor in a room for about like two or three hours. And we just had a good conversation of what, what the Bible was, what it has to offer, you know, what Christ did for me and for all people and the plan that he has for my life and, and the purpose that I can find through choosing to pursue a relationship with him. And by no means was it a, you know, uh, I guess a salvation stamp to say, Hey, now I just accepted Christ into my life and my heart. And now I'm going to make it to heaven. And I no longer need to change the ways of my life and pursue whatever I want to, because ultimately it's whatever he wanted willed for my life. And so, yeah, Amanda, it's funny because she wrote me, (laughs) she wrote me a letter (laughs) saying that she couldn't date me because I wasn't a Christian. But Even, morally, he was more of a Christian than I was at the time. Like, if you would look at our moral values, <laughs> yeah, that's the comical part of it. Yeah, I respected women growing up mm, um, because yeah. my mom raised, because of my dad being deported, my mom raised three children by herself. So I, I saw her sacrifice so much in her life to be able to provide just a good living environment for her three children to be able to have food on the table to still come home and cook after working two full-time jobs. Um, so even, even growing up into my young teenage years, I was by myself a lot because my mom worked, worked so much. So, yeah. Amanda, after all of this, you know, going through it in this, you know, nine month period that was just really awful. What made you, stay because you had people encouraging you to leave him. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. There was people that I really looked up to. And I mean, just people that were, I guess what you would consider in a ministry position and things like that, that said, well, because he wasn't repentant, you know, you should, you don't have to go back. Um, and that this could be considered a type of adultery and all of those things. But, um, thankfully I had some, some people in my life who had actually walked a similar road And they came alongside of me and actually joined an accountability group that was for women who've either had affairs themselves or their spouses have had affairs. And it was actually perfect because hearing and walking alongside women who've had affairs and people that I respected, I was able to hear really well 
and just have a better understanding for why people sometimes make the choices that they made. And it also helped to bring to light the fact that I was starting down a road that was leading to an emotional affair myself. And so it was just a really, that for me, I think was probably one of the biggest reasons I stayed is we had a weekly meeting um, in which we held each other accountable and we would call each other out and things like, have you thought inappropriately about another man that is not your husband? Have you, you know, have you been kind to your husband? Have you been respectful? Like all these questions we would go over and ask each other. Um, and then we also did a Bible study together. So that was a big part of it. And just honestly, God's constant reminder that every time I felt like I am justified in leaving. Like he has not been good to me and I have tried to make this work. And honestly, I don't even think he likes me anymore. He's only staying with me because he made like marriage vows to me. And he's the kind of guy that once he commits to something, he follows through with it, whether he wants to or not. So I just was like, he doesn't want to be with me and I deserve to be happy and I deserve to be loved and all these things. And so a big thing too was God spoke to my heart and said, Amanda, and Carlos even said this to me, like, I have got to find my identity in God. I have got to stop trying to find my identity in my husband. And I need to start looking at my own life and saying, okay, what are areas that I need to grow in? And, you know, Carlos, he explained it so well, even in all the things that he said that he was thinking and going through when he was doing his emotional affair were all things that I had said to myself as well. Like, I would nitpick the things that he did wrong and I would um, keep this running tab of all the things that he did and why I was justified in the things that I was doing or thinking. And I would even edge him on just like he did with me. And it was like, we were just kind of combatant. We were, we were going to battle against each other. So turning from focusing on him and the things that he was doing wrong, accepting that it's out of my control to change him and that only the Holy Spirit can do that. And starting to focus on what God wanted to change in myself and my relationship and identity in God is really what made me realize that I can stay and that God can work through me and through Carlos and, and he can bring about redemption in our marriage. Carlos, what was it that pulled you out of your sin? Why did you turn back to Amanda in your marriage? Well, the easy answer would be that... I picked up the Bible and I read a couple of verses and God spoke to me or gave me some sort of audible sound that said, go back to your wife. Um, but it was, it was difficult. It was a really, really difficult. It's a trap. It's a trap by the enemy that I was in. And I think realistically looking back and being able to reflect on everything that had happened, God, it just speaks volumes of, how much grace God has for us, um, how merciful and sovereign he is. I mean, those it's, it's still hard for me even now to comprehend when I say those words, because they just seem out of reach and they seem, they don't seem tangible to me. But when I can look back at the affair that we went through, the emotional affair that I went through. Um, those are the words that come to mind because there's nothing that I myself could have done in my own strength to say, you know what, I'm just, I'm going to choose Amanda just because, you know, I'm just that good of a person. And I think she deserves somebody like me, but she really did. She really didn't deserve anything that I had to offer. Cause at that 
in that period of time in our marriage, I really had nothing to offer Amanda except for financial support. Um, I mean, we both worked, but as soon as we, she, uh, we started having children, then um, I, I wanted her to stay at home to be a stay at home mommy with our kids and raise them. And so I was financially supporting. So that was really the only thing I was bringing to the table in that season of life. But there were, there were a few guys from the church that we attended that came and tried to, um, I mean, they didn't try, they did encourage me. And I was kind of ignorant because I feel like looking back, I was rude in how I was responding or how I was, trying to be attentive to what they were saying, even though I wasn't, um, in the back of my head, I was like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Like, it doesn't matter what you say. Like I've already chosen in my mind that, you know, I'm already this deep. And so what's the point of turning around? But I just think it was just events like that where people would encourage us or people would, um, talk to us about it. And then just a lot of it, when God says that children are a blessing, they really they really are a blessing because mm. when I thought of me leaving Amanda and leaving Eliana and Julian, it really, really broke my heart because I saw myself in their shoes, even though I would have still been around um, in a sense. And we could, you know, shared custody went all through all the divorce stuff like what, what a mess that would have caused for my children. And I looked at my own life and I reflected in a, a couple evenings and, and I just thought to myself, there's no way that I would ever want my children to be raised like I was. My mom did an amazing job by herself, but I couldn't do that to Amanda and I couldn't do that to Eliana and Julian in that season of life. And so that was a big a big, uh, I don't even know what to call it. I guess a stone that kind of got set in, in moving forward for our marriage saying like, I'm not going to abandon my children. I'm not going to abandon the woman that I, I proposed to that I vowed to before God. And from there, it was just a, it was a healing process. It's like a, Mm -hmm. It's definitely not a a bandaged cut. It's something, if you can think of like an injury that would take Mm, years, (laughs) even years. I don't, I don't even know what kind of injury you could endure that would take years to heal, but I guess Mm. to completely heal. I mean, there's like ACL tears where it takes weeks and there's, you know, broken bones where you're in cast and therapy and stuff like that. But that stuff needs work. It doesn't just, Mm. it doesn't just. Um, heal on its own fully. Uh, Cast will help and hold things in place, but you need that physical therapy. You need it worked. And you know what? Just thinking of it, that physical therapy, that has pain in it also. You don't just come out of your cast and you're like, oh man, it feels great. Like I I could go run a marathon. Um, But I'm sure if you talk to people that have gone through physical therapy for big injuries. Um, there's pain in some of that physical therapy and that's kind of what the next, I don't know, like the next year or two, it's a long process. There was a lot of hurts and it was like one step forward and three steps back. Well, and cause you don't commit usually emotional affairs without other things being issues in your marriage. You know, it's not like a perfectly healthy couple usually walks into it. There's other things that lead up to it. So through that healing process, 
these other things had to be brought up. And I think that's what was hard. We would hit our stride and would feel good. And then we'd have to talk about, you know, my lack of uh, how disrespectful I can be, how condescending and self-righteous I can be, you know, like those things had to start coming up and then it would just feel yucky and hard all over again. Um, So even though it wasn't major things, it was a lot of these things that had really caused to make our foundation weak from the very beginning. Yeah. I almost forgot. And just by Amanda saying that I need to touch on a subject for men, especially that um, doesn't get talked about a lot. It gets mentioned in church every once in a while. Um, but I can't say that I've, you know, sat with coffee with a friend and wanted to talk about um, pornography and how big of an issue this is in marriages and early in our relationship the addiction that I had brought into our marriage, even before, even before I met Amanda, um, the addiction to pornography that I had carrying that into our relationship was probably the biggest, if I can call it influence in wanting to pursue another woman other than my spouse and what she had to offer to me. Um, just the lies that that feeds to men and the false fulfillment that we find in it, um, for those who are are stuck in it and struggling in it, um, it's not worth it whatsoever. And God's plan for for healing through that, and ultimately being able to conquer victory over the bondage that pornography has over men is. You know, God has a plan of redemption even in that in itself. And I think for, I can't speak it as a fact, but I think that pornography is probably one of the biggest leading causes to affairs uh, because what the industry offers men isn't what isn't even true or what the world has to offer. And so when men go to seek that, it just, they get in deeper and deeper and deeper because it, it's a false fulfillment. There's nothing filling um, that it offers. And so I think early, early in our marriage, that affected how I viewed Amanda um, and how I lackingly loved her um, because I was I was so caught up in it. And so being able over the years to through the strength that Christ gives and the grace and forgiveness that he gives and the victory that he can give over it. I think has shown how my view of Amanda has changed and how my view of even other women has, has changed drastically to be able to, to be healthy. That's really good. And that actually brings up another question. What you had talked about, you know, when you're healing a wound or something, it takes, you know, a really long time and there's physical therapy. And then, you know, here you're talking about bringing in uh, pornography into your marriage and whatever, you know, issues Amanda brought into your marriage. What was your physical therapy? What did you guys do to work towards a healthy marriage? I think a good, what was a good starting point for us was when you get so deep and you kind of feel that you can't really get any deeper or people say, you know, something happens to people and they're like, this can't get much worse. Well, for us, we were kind of in that part of 
our lives in that season of marriage where we just kind of felt like it really can't get any worse. And so I opened up to Amanda about, you know, my pornography addiction and how I needed to seek help. And, you know, it wasn't, that's, it's not what I wanted to do. It was just another thing that I was trying to find fulfillment in and fill all these voids in my, in my life that only God could have, could have filled in. But so uh, what, how we kind of, I guess, started would have been just being very open and honest with each other, trying to build a foundation of truth and honesty. Um, And it wasn't easy whatsoever because then even the next day, I don't remember, but I'm sure the next day I probably lied to Amanda if she asked me a question, but it was a good starting point to say, hey, like, this is all the junk that I've been dealing with. And, and I feel like you are the one that needs to know because, you know, you bring darkness to light and then there's no more darkness um, because the light overpowers it. And so that's kind of the beginning healing process of what I remember um, that we kind of started on the journey of physical therapy and healing that we started on was just bringing a lot of this darkness to light and just really it's so easy to say like. God was in the middle of it. I think he works in the background of a lot of stuff and we don't even see it until for us, 11 years later, being able to reflect on how God completely redeemed every aspect of our physical therapy and healing process, where in the moment it seemed like God had no part in it whatsoever. Or it seemed like it wasn't even working. Sometimes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you, We would go through the same thing week after week. It wasn't yeah. even like the same day. It was like week after week, month after month. Having the same conversations. and yeah, yeah, things would just continue to get hashed out, continue to get hashed out. And I think that's that was God's way of saying, like, it's not done yet. Like, yeah, you this haven't part, said everything you need to say or this whatever. Part, yeah, this part of the healing process, this one's going to hurt a little bit more. It's going to continue to hurt a little bit more, but it needs to happen for your muscles and your bones and your heart to change for everything to come back to God's original plan for our marriage, for marriage, for a Christian marriage, for mm-hmm. for everybody. Yeah, I think we just want to you know, relief and we want this easy and quick thing and it just doesn't work that way. And so being willing to continuously work in that without seeing results immediately is I think just so important. Did you guys have counselors or older couples um, to guide you along the way or did you just do all of this on your own? So we only went to like actually one counseling session, which I I regret that. I don't advise that. (laughs) Looking back now, we would have said it was because financially we also were not doing well and didn't want to spend the money. Um, I think we could have had a quicker recovery had we utilized good professional Christian counseling from the very beginning. That being said, God was good to us. And I feel like he put couples in our life Um, And like I referenced earlier, I had an accountability group. Um, Carlos met with another guy for a short period of time. Um, So God definitely put people in our life who were able to speak into us and some friends, especially for me. Um, I had a a friend that I could confide in um, as we continue to wrestle through Carlos's um, porn issues and um, just my own struggle with wanting to try to connect with another guy versus him. Um, I had a friend that I... I'm still to this day able to reach out to her every time I struggle and talk through it. So things like that were really, yeah, were really big for us. 
Carlos, if there's somebody listening who is struggling with a porn addiction, what would you say to them? How, what is the first step in getting out? And then what are some steps maybe after that to keep going, to stay away? Yeah, that's, that's awesome. I would tell them, you know, the best way to fight any lies that the enemy has through porn addiction is to bring it to light. Um, find somebody that you really trust. It's so hard for men to have those relationships that women have, um, the bond and connection and the emotional connection that women have. Men aren't typically emotionally connected with each other. We kind of bump and bruise each other and play sports and elbow each other in the face. And then we're like, Hey, we're friends. We're best friends. You just knocked my tooth out. Um, (laughs) but I think they're, There are men out there specifically older and more mature that have lived life or even gone through that specific addiction and that can understand, you know, the background of it and the victory that they have found. So find somebody that you trust um, that won't, you know, gossip about it to anybody else, won't spread it to any of your other friends or anything, but just find that one person that you can trust and say, hey, I have an issue like are you willing to walk with me through it and make sure it's somebody who's going to walk with you through it, not somebody that's going to uh, not meet with you weekly or monthly or whatever you set up. But it needs to be somebody who is willing to fight for just fight for you and stand up for you because we need as guys, we need other men to encourage us men that we look up to. Um, because I didn't have a dad, I struggled so much growing up finding, I guess, manly identity. Um, and also just a mentor that really spoke into my life. I had a couple, but a lot of them were kind of flingy. And so I'd meet every once in a while for like two or three month period. And then we wouldn't connect again for like another year or something. And I'm like, goodness gracious, this is so unstable. Like I'm not finding, it sounds selfish to say I'm not finding you know, any encouragement through it in the moments I was, but I needed to find somebody who was willing to walk through seasons of life with me, not just for a week or two or a month or two, but somebody that said, saw the importance of where you were and then say, Hey, I'm willing to walk with you for the next year and really encourage you, disciple you, pour into you and just help you to overcome. I'll recommend the book, Every Man's Battle. I'm going through it with a friend now it's his second time and this is my first time through it. Um, I didn't even know this book existed, but we've both gone through part one. And I'll tell you that this has been probably the best way for me to be able to revisit the healthy practices of how I'm supposed to handle myself as a man, how I'm supposed to handle my eyes, how I'm supposed to guard my heart how I'm supposed to control, you know, some of my lustful thoughts, ultimately, because God has a plan for it. And so in this, I guess, in the sexualized society that we have, that everything is so visual and catches guys' attentions, I would say that I've heard so many good things about the book, Every Man's Battle, that I decided my friend threw it to me and I said, Hey, like I'm willing to do it. And he's like, dude, let's just do it together. And so me and him, he's, he's my guy. He's my guy for the next year that we're going to walk through this book together again. And we're going to speak life into each other. We're going to ask the hard questions. You need to find somebody that asks the absolute hard questions, kind of like Sarah's, 
deep questions, not somebody who has surface level questions and they ask you, hey, how's it going? How's life? How you doing? How's your marriage? How's your how are your kids doing? Oh, good, 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 good. No, maybe it's good, but it's not good. There are really deep issues in people's lives that need to be dealt with that aren't brought to the surface um, and the deeper that I've seen myself push it down, it's going to explode at some point. And I don't want it to get there because it's going to it's going to spread shrapnel everywhere to my family, to my friends, to a man and to my children. Mm, that's so good. And I, I agree with you. I think it is really, really difficult for men to find somebody yeah. like that. So, yeah, that's that's really good. Um, Amanda, I, I kept thinking when you were talking about your accountability group, how on earth did you find them? I mean, how do other women who are listening find a group like that? (laughs) Let me just, I know this is such the Sunday school answer, but honest to God, prayer, prayer, prayer. I prayed for years and years and years and years that Carlos would find someone to speak to because he's been wanting to. And only now has he finally found a really solid connection in somebody. Um, But the same thing for me, I just really pray like, God, I need somebody to talk to Like I'm going crazy. I don't know who to say this to. Obviously this isn't a Facebook post. So how do I go about saying like finding this? Um, But I think the first step sometimes is you being willing to be the person that you're looking for, for somebody else. So for me, I was willing to share a little bit of what I was going through with a select few people um, that I knew I could trust. And then what happened is in return, some of those were willing to come alongside of me and say, I want to walk this journey with you. And um, a lot of times I think people don't find anyone because our we're not ourselves willing to say what we're experiencing. We're not willing to share our own struggles And so no one can connect with us or know that we even need help. So I would pray first. And then secondly, you know, you already have people in your life. Um, Share with a few of them if you're struggling with something and see what God does through it. Most likely out of maybe the two or three people you'll tell, one of them will be a person that can be like that person for you. Mm, That's so good. And it really just goes along with what Carlos said, which is just... (laughs) the absolute truth, which is bring it to the light. Anything we keep in the dark and that we keep isolated, Mm -hmm. it just festers and um, and bring it to the light. I I agree with you guys. It's just the number one thing. We have to be willing to put ourselves out there and be vulnerable and honest, especially if we want to change. Yeah. Yeah. And it hurts. It hurts. It seems in the moment that you're in the moment I'm hurting Amanda, like, I've looked at pornography. I need to tell her and it's going to hurt her really bad. And that is the lie that the enemy uses Mm. to continue to lie and, and say no, but you know what? God is, (laughs) he's, he's good. And he's almost too good because as much as I wanted to lie and hide it from Amanda, he brought it to her attention to approach me. And I Mm. even had the audacity to continue to lie, knowing that God brought dreams to Amanda, specific dreams, time and time again to approach me. And I continue to choose to want to hide it. And the only way it got brought to lay and the only way it got healed and dealt with was when I confessed and I repented and I said, and I apologize and asked for forgiveness. And that, that process after it happened felt a lot better than obviously when I was pushing it down, trying to push it deeper, 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 and hide it. 
Um, but yeah, it, I mean, it seems so simple and it's hard, but it's completely worth it. So what does your marriage look like now? How do you stay honest and protect your marriage? It's fantastic now. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. We have no issues now. (laughs) I think it is a constant reminder of like, seriously, of what God can do. I am actually surprised most of the time for the love that I have for Carlos and for the ability to, you know, if he slips up or something happens or he has an off day and he's angry with me or whatever, things that in the past I would harbor and hold on to and have bitterness about, like God has just gives me the ability to just, it's not worth it. Let it go. I love him too much now for that. Um, And that love, I think I know just comes from the Lord. And so seeing where our marriage is now, it just blows my mind. Um, because I would have never, there's nothing you could have done that would have convinced me six years ago that this is where we would be today. So, um, it just is polar opposite and there's still so much we have to work Mm -hmm. on. And instead of feeling frustrated about it, I feel excited because I've seen how everything we've worked through, how much closer it's brought us, not just to each other, but to God, like it has strengthened our personal walks with the Lord. And so I'm really excited to continue in this journey of just communicating better and um, growing closer to the Lord and to each other. Um, I saw it as an opportunity. I I can be very selfish at times. And so one of my love languages is um, acts of service. And so if it comes very naturally and easy for me, and that's how I choose to love Amanda, that's not her love language, unfortunately, (laughs) but I still, yeah, (laughs) I I still enjoy doing it to be able to show her like, Hey, this is how I'm trying to love you. And so if we can get our focus, especially I'm talking to myself, because if I can get my focus off of how can Amanda fulfill everything that I need and to how can I serve Amanda better, that it completely changes how I view I guess even my own needs and how God serves me day in and day out, because the ultimate example of scripture of somebody that is serving people is Jesus. And so he came and he served so well and, and loved people so well that if I can do that to Amanda, then that's gonna, that's gonna guide, that's gonna guide our marriage. And do you guys have anything in place now to sort of protect your marriage? I mean, I know it's just probably a daily struggle and daily surrender and daily prayer. Um, but, and I don't, I hate to use the word rule. Like, do you guys have any rules in place? But is there anything you're doing that just helps to protect you guys? Yeah. No, call it rules, call it boundaries, call it what it is, because <laughs> it that's where it needs to be. We, social media is probably something that I got I got tied into too much and so just for boundary purposes you know it's safe to say like Amanda kind of knows who my friends are um I know who her friends are and so we're just kind of continually sort of checking into each other and just being honest because mm-hmm. if if we're friended by people that we don't think would lead to a good friendship or just kind of weird like we let we let each other know like, Hey, this person randomly friended me. I don't know why, but, and then it's like, Hey, well, did you accept the friendship? Did you deny it? It sounds so kind of like high schoolish, but that's kind of where we're at now in our culture. 
but we, we set boundaries. We don't, you know, some of it, it seems obvious, but to some people it, it doesn't, but we don't like, I'm, I'm never going to go meet with another woman individually for any purpose for, even if we're good friends, um, I'm never going to meet with somebody else's spouse for any reason, even if I don't want to pin myself as a man in a corner with, with just one woman for any purpose. And so I'm going to try to guard myself by bringing somebody else along or just letting Amanda know and bringing her along or, or whatever. But in a sense, I guess we kind of have the right to be in each other's business because mm-hmm. I want to care and love for her as much as I can to protect her from anything like that and show her how much I love her. And in return, you're going to do the same, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the biggest things that I've learned from this and something that I always tell other couples is that this can happen to anyone. This is mm-hmm. a thing, especially to Christians. And don't let your guard down. Um, we waited to set up boundaries, to work on communication, and to really fully commit to honesty with each other until we absolutely had to, and then we had a mess. I think it's wise to have all kinds of boundaries and things in place so that you don't ever have to get into this situation. Mm-hmm. And so that would be the biggest thing that I would say is that like, be willing to communicate about everything. Like We're at the point now where we've learned how to respond to each other so that when another person comes to us and says something that we know is going to hurt the other person, and it may even be shocking, we've learned how to show compassion and love and sympathy to that other person and, and just guard how we react. So that's just a big thing for us is let's be honest about everything. If there's something that we aren't telling each other, then that's just something the enemy can use against us to start something else. So we're really big on honesty and communication. And then, like you said, yeah, boundaries, especially in social media, it's hard. It's easy. We think of emotional affairs as these big drawn out things. Sometimes it can be just constantly commenting on someone's status and always noticing posts and, you know, comparing your husband to someone else's spouse. It's simple things like that that the enemy can use as really just the root of a, what can end up being a major issue. Hmm. You know, I was thinking about with Jesse and I and how when I started to view him as a human, like just as another person in need of grace, that really changed everything. Mm-hmm. Like that he was like me. I mean, we were just so human and we both just needed so much grace. And so that if we could be honest with each other and then give each other the grace um, in the safe place to be honest, just how important that was to our marriage. Yes. Yeah, totally. So Carlos, what do you want to say to men who are on the verge of an affair or even women? What do you wish somebody would have said to you? Run away as fast as you can. (laughs) Flee, repent, it's really not worth it. It it's like it's like uh when you watch <laughs> when you watch the weather and you know a hurricane's coming and it's going to make landfall in your town and it doesn't hit right away. It's a slow process, but if you if you're surrounded by people in your life that really love and care about you, they'll see it coming and and they they should be willing to call it out. And so if I would have surrounded myself with men that I um, love and trusted and was a good Christian community and they knew that something wasn't right in my life by the way that I was just carrying myself or, you know, um, I wasn't making the hangouts, the guys nights or or the couples, you know, double dates or whatever like that, like 
just acting outside of who I was. I wish I would have had somebody to call those things out of me and say, hey, what's going on in your life? Um, and then I could have been honest with them. And, the, and then they could have just encouraged me and said, like, you really need to just leave, like delete the phone number, throw your phone away, do whatever you need to do to not come in contact with the opposite sex or whatever and just just drop it. It's not worth it in the moment. You think it feels good. You think it it's going to be worth it. Um, but those are all lies. It's all, it's so easy to believe a lie that the enemy uses in relationships. And there's nothing that you're not going to carry into the next relationship that was a problem in the previous relationship. So don't think you're escaping anything by leaving your luggage in another city because that luggage will find its final destination. You're going to have to go pick it up. (laughs) And Amanda, what do you want to say to women who are in a similar situation with their spouse that you found yourself in? Um, I would just say that, first of all, just remember that you're not the Holy Spirit. You can only control what you can control. And if you believe in your heart that God is asking you to stay and fight for your marriage, then recognize that it will take time. And sometimes it will feel like a thousand steps forward and maybe half a step or a thousand steps backwards, excuse me, and half a step forward. And so don't be discouraged. And if you're finding your identity and putting your trust in God, then you know, ultimately the outcome is up to him. I think it's worth it. I think it's worth the hard work of staying and fighting for your marriage, not just for yourself or for your kids, but because as Carlos said earlier, you made those vows. Um, And so I would just encourage you that do the hard work and trust God to do the rest of it. I know this sounds like a funny question to end, but I wanted to ask it earlier. Carlos, what did you think about the fact that Amanda just kept coming back and kept surrendering and kept being willing to pursue you and stay with you? Yeah, that's a great question. It The easy answer is it felt good. It felt really good to know that somebody loved me so much through all of my faults, all of my failures to continue to pursue me. Um, And that is just a small glimpse of a tangible glimpse of how much God pursues us day in and day out. And so I think it was just a shadow of how much I needed somebody to love me when I didn't have that authoritative figure growing up to really pour into me and love me as much as I probably would have needed. And so, I mean, if you're human, something, even if you have such a hard shell on the outside, um, there's something soft on the inside that says uh, people want to be wanted. People want to be accepted. People want to be loved. doesn't matter how hard the outside is. I've seen some of the hardest people Um, have the softest of hearts. And that's how God created us. Like we're meant to be in relationship with people. And so to know that Amanda pursued me so much, in a sense, attracted me to her even more and made me want to pursue her um, just that much more because I knew how much she had been sacrificing and, and giving me so much grace. That is so good. 
Thank you guys so much. Before we end this podcast, is there anything I didn't ask or anything that you guys want to say that you didn't get to say? Just that we're praying for every listener and we know that there's going to be some people that are listening and, you know, this just really, (laughs) it strikes something in them and it's, you know, it's just hard. And we're just praying for you that God would provide people in your life to walk through this with you. And we are just praying for you guys. We're a champion for marriage and we're just hopeful what God is going to do in marriages of the people who, who are able to just turn their lives to God. So we're excited to, to see what God does through, through his awesome story in our marriage. Yeah, for sure. Marriage is hard. It's by no means going to ever be easy. There is no perfect marriage and there is no perfect person. It's what each of us makes it. And so if we don't, if we're not selfish and we're, pursuing God first and then going to pursue our spouse all should be well, but you know, we are in a broken world that is going to feed us things that are going to try to wedge us apart. And so just being able to keep our focus and just submerging yourself in scripture, whether you're getting something out of it or not, the word of God does never goes void to God be the glory for everything that has happened through our marriage and that we even get the opportunity to share it. We can bring a little piece of hope to somebody's relationship and a little bit of light and to know that they're not alone and that God wants to redeem your marriage. Thank you guys so much for coming on and being honest. Thanks for having us, Thank you so much, Sarah. You can learn more about Amanda and Carlos in today's show notes. And also in the show notes, you'll find resources and links to help you if you're in a hellish season of your marriage. Next week, we'll continue the series. So make sure to subscribe and head back to listen. Thank you for listening to the Complicated Heart Podcast. Loved this episode? Head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. Reviews are how people know if they should listen or not. So please, if you like the show, take a minute and give it a review. Thank you so much. If you want to know more, check out sarahmay.com forward slash the complicated heart podcast. See you next time.